Well, all right, here we are once again, discipleship class number 14. And the title for the class this evening is Three Questions. Three Questions, unique title. We'll be explaining it here in just a few minutes. But welcome. I'm glad that you are able to join us. And I apologize to those of you who tried to find us on Facebook uh, last week and were unable to do that. We had uh, streaming issues to Facebook, not to our other platforms, but to uh, Facebook. And so I, I um, had, as the Bible says, knowledge of a witty invention. And that was before the class I posted uh, links to our uh, Vimeo. It's our main channel. I don't know what all you call it. You can access it there live as well as archived. So. Anyway, welcome to those of you who join us on Facebook, and I apologize for the hiccups last week. Once we start streaming, it's very difficult to then try to troubleshoot. So, But praise God, and it's good to have most of the class back with us uh, this evening. There was different issues that uh, kept the group in the room from being here last week. So, But here we are, amen, and excited about what Father has in store for us. Before we pray, let me make one very quick announcement, and that is, again, no class on November the 23rd, so that's uh, next Wednesday, um, no class. I think a lot of the folks that are here in the room are going to be uh, visiting family, and, and gladly so, amen. So um, we've been doing this a long time, and I have, in times past, had class the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, but I have learned over the years that that is not the most robustly attended class. So anyway, and hey, understandably so, it's a great holiday and, and want you to enjoy that. So just remember, no class next Wednesday, and we'll be back with Bell Zone on the 30th. Amen. Well, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, how we love you. And as important as our love for you is, Father, we are so thankful that you loved us first and you love us tonight. And you love us no matter what. And Father, that is so encouraging. It brings such comfort and peace, Lord, to know that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Father, we've all done things that we wish we could go back and undo and redo and do differently. But Father, thank you for your forgiveness and your abundant pardon in our lives. And thank you, Father, for the promise and the hope of... Uh, not just a better future, but Lord, for a, a better right now. And Lord, I thank you that through your Holy Spirit and through the wisdom that you reveal to us and teach to us from him and from your Holy Word, Father, that we are being led into our best life. And Father, that life is not just one that's pleasing and beneficial to us, but Lord, it's one that glorifies your name. Father, as, as, as you set your love upon us, as you sing over us while we sleep at night, Lord, your desire for your children is that... We know the life that you created us to live, and Lord, I thank you that you're helping us find that in ever-increasing measures. Thank you for being with us uh, by your Holy Spirit tonight and leading us and guiding us into the truth that you have prepared for us. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. All right, so just a quick review, and, and we, we wound this down rather quickly last week, and I want to uh, just reiterate the difference between the gospel of salvation and the gospel of the kingdom. For those of you who were not with us last week, I, I hope that at some point, and if it's two years from now, I hope at some point you'll be able to go back to class number 13 uh, of this year, which was entitled Kingdom Overview. 
kingdom overview. And we literally spent the entire class looking at uh, a general overview of what God's kingdom is here upon the earth. Jesus said that we are born into His kingdom. When Jesus ministered, He, he ministered using the resources of the kingdom. We are now citizens of that kingdom. That kingdom has been given to us. Those who are perfectly trained in the kingdom, the Bible says, can put their hands on anything that anybody needs anytime they need it. So it's, it's a very important teaching because as we've been talking about now for several classes in a row, every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. And we minister as ambassadors of our Father's kingdom. If you were raised in church, more than likely you were preached and fed a steady diet of what I call the gospel of salvation. And please don't misunderstand me, the gospel of salvation is extremely important. Gospel meaning good news and salvation, of course, meaning the salvation that Jesus came to provide for us and all that He did through His sinless life, His uh, death on the cross, His burial, His resurrection, and His ascension back to Father's right hand to provide the salvation that we now experience and enjoy uh, here and, of course, uh, will for all of eternity. But Jesus is first most important and final message while He was here upon the earth was not just salvation. It was not just the good news of salvation. It was the good news of the kingdom. We see that John the Baptist preached the kingdom. We see that Jesus preached the kingdom. We see that the disciples preached the kingdom. We see that the first 70 missionaries preached the good news of the kingdom. Jesus told them, you go and tell people, repent, quit thinking the way you've always thought, for the kingdom is here and it's at hand. If you remember class 12, we talked about three heavens and how in Daniel's day God's kingdom was very difficult to access. The answers that we needed were three heavens away. They were hard to get to and angels had to fight to get them to us, but that's not the way it is anymore. Jesus has come and He has brought His kingdom with Him to the earth. And so now, even for the unbeliever, the kingdom of God is as close as your outstretched hand. For the believer, the kingdom of is, is even closer than that. The kingdom is in you. Okay, so. One of the mistakes that modern Christianity has made is that we have preached the gospel of, the, of, of salvation but have failed to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And this leaves people with the impression that all God is interested in you know, would be getting you to heaven one day when you die. Certainly He wants you to spend eternity with Him. But the gospel of salvation, again, focuses on getting you into heaven. The gospel of the kingdom focuses on getting heaven into you while you're here upon the earth so that Father's kingdom can come and His will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. The, I believe one of the most important battle cries for the church in this present day. Kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we see this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Uh, Matthew 9 and 35, And Jesus went about all the cities and, and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And then He says in Matthew 24 and 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. When asked 
about the end and when the end will come, Jesus gave us certain signs to look for. And He compared those signs to a woman giving birth or to birth pangs. And He talked about wars and rumors of wars. He talked about uh, natural disasters. He talked about racial uh, unrest. All these things that Jesus said we would see. And, and yet He said that when you see those things coming, do not be fooled into thinking that uh, it means it's the end. And yet that's exactly what people do. <laughs> they say, oh man, Jesus is coming back because, you know, reading the headlines is like reading the Bible. Well, He said that those things were signs, but the end would not come until the gospel of the kingdom was preached to all nations as a witness. And then He says the end will come. Let me comment for just a moment on wars and natural disasters and uh, pestilences, pandemic. We, we, you know, thank God are coming out of a pandemic first and hopefully last one in, in our lifetimes. Amen. But when Jesus said birth pangs, because there's always been these things, right? These things have always happened on planet Earth. So on one hand, it's, it's almost like, well, Jesus, how does that help us? But the key to understanding what He was saying was that these things were like birth pangs. And I watched my wife give birth to two children. And the one thing that I understand about birth pangs is that the closer you get to the child being born, the more frequent and the more intense the labor pains become, or the more uh, frequent and the more intense the contractions come. So the recent COVID-19 pandemic was a contraction. In other words, it, it, it's, it's this, uh, uh, the signs of the times which also tells us, and I don't tell you this to scare you, we, we need to be prepared. According to Jesus, these things must come to pass. That doesn't mean they must come to pass in your home or in your life, but they must come to pass here on the earth. Amen or oh me, that's the truth, okay? And that, again, I, I love to give you positive news, and this doesn't have to be negative news, but according to Jesus, more frequent and more intense. There's always been earthquakes, but never as frequent or as intense as we've seen of late. There's always been natural disasters, but never as more in, intense or more frequent as we have seen of late. Um, that's not just me talking. That's uh, proven uh, records, okay? So <clears throat> the end, though, will not come until not the gospel of salvation, but the gospel of the kingdom. So we see that salvation is important because it's the message of salvation that enables us to enter into the kingdom. But if we only preach the gospel of salvation and never had the kingdom explained to us, then we're in, um, you know, we're at a serious disadvantage. Okay? So you still with me? I don't, I, I, it's such an important subject. I, when I get started talking about it, it's sometimes a little bit difficult for me to <laughs> move on to something else. And so that's why I really hope that if you weren't here or weren't able to access last week's class. That, again, is class number 13, Kingdom Overview. And uh, you can access it uh, many different ways. And if you have any issues with that, just reach out to me. I'll send you a link straight to it. Okay. Now, let's get to this uh, title for tonight's class, which is Three Questions. Three Questions. And the three questions that we're referring to are three basic fundamental life questions that I feel every human being needs an answer from God for in order for our lives to make sense. And we see in John the 8th chapter and uh, the 12th verse, 
then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself, your witness is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from and where I am going. To give you a little background of what this conversation is about, in Jesus' day, when someone ministered publicly, they did it in the name of the master that they studied under. We've, we've talked about Manthano and Didasco in here and, and how that whole system of, of learning and, and teaching is designed to uh, make those being taught similar to the one who is uh, teaching. And if you've read in the New Testament, you hear a gentleman named Gamaliel, for example, mentioned. Gamaliel was considered a master teacher, and any of his disciples, when they ministered, they would have referenced him as basically the umbrella that they were under or as the one that they studied under and now authorized them to say whatever it is that they were saying. We see this, versions of this anyway, in, in our world today where for example, a United Methodist minister or an Assemblies of God minister would come under the umbrella of that particular denomination and, and would hold true to their doctrines and tenets of faith and, and, and they would be licensed or ordained or credentialed uh, ministers of that particular denomination to speak and so forth and so on. Okay? The problem that the religious establishment had with Jesus is that he didn't have those kinds of credentials. He, he didn't sit under somebody else's uh, feet, so to speak, uh, as least, at least as an earthly man would. And so when he spoke, it was like he was a renegade. It was like he had no credentials or no papers or no, no licensure or ordination. And this was a, a really big problem for them, especially given that he attracted far more crowds than, than they did, and they were jealous of him. And so... And, and then, of course, he said some pretty extreme things. And so they're like, there's no way your doctrine can be true because you're the only one who is saying the things that you're saying. And, of course, Jesus is, is going to explain that he speaks um, not of his own... Uh, uh, in other words, he didn't come up with all that himself. The doctrine that he preaches, he says, is my father's doctrine. And so none of you may agree with me, but my Father in heaven agrees with me. He makes one and I make two. But he also says the thing that qualifies him to minister, that's what, if, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from, I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I came from where I'm going. Jesus was saying that there were some things that he understood about life and living, about origin and destiny, about identity, that qualified him to minister in the, name, in the name of his Father. Okay, Now, let me give you the same verse from the Passion Translation, John 8 and 14. Jesus responded, Just because I'm the one making these claims doesn't mean they're invalid. For I absolutely know who I am, where I've come from, and where I'm going. But you Pharisees have no idea about what I'm saying. So we see here some things that Jesus said he knew. 
And um, I apologize. I didn't put that verse up on the screen. I didn't realize it was a, a two. Right, let me let's let's give it. One, let's do this one more time because again, this is a, a key verse here. John eight and fourteen from the Passion Translation. Just because Jesus speaking, just because I'm the one making these claims, doesn't mean they're invalid. For I absolutely know who I am, where I've come from, and where I'm going. But you Pharisees have no idea about what I'm saying. So what Jesus was in essence saying was that, first of all, I'm saying what my Father tells me to say. But also what validates, what validates me as a minister, what validates me, or we could say it this way, what qualifies me as someone to speak on God's behalf to you is that I know who I am, I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. There were these three very basic, very fundamental things that Jesus knew and knew clearly and understood and understood clearly that he said validated or qualified him to, to minister to and to speak to other people. So I think if, if this was important as far as Jesus' credentials are concerned, that we need this same understanding ourselves, not just to be able to effectively minister, but to first and foremost be able to effectively live the life that God uh, called us and created us to live. So Jesus uh, said that uh, he knew where he came from. He said that he knew who he was. He said that he knew where he was going and that he knew why he was here. Okay, <laughs> so uh, isn't it amazing how so many people on planet Earth, I call it making your life up as you go along. They have no idea where they came from. They have no idea who they are. They have no idea where they're going. and They have no idea why they're here. And, and we wonder why we're not living the meaningful life that God uh, wants us to live. It's because we don't know the answers to these questions. We don't have this information. We have versions of it. We have the world's ideas about it. We, we even hear the world say things like, I got I to gotta go find myself. Well, I mean, <laughs> where, where are you going to find yourself, right? We're trying to find ourselves in money, in relationships, in other people, in experiences. We're trying to understand our destiny based upon you know, what feels good to us in the moment. And so, and so the, the, for the most part, humanity is lost where these things are concerned. And it's very sad to me because for the most part, even God's people are, are clueless and ignorant. A lot of God's people are clueless and ignorant when it comes to some of these very uh, simple and basic and fundamental questions, okay? Now, let me talk to you for a moment about the trivialization of man. The Bible's very clear and, and I know that's kind of wordy, but I think it's important. Um, and by the way, the Lord gave me the phrase, the trivialization of man, before he gave me the passage from the message translation to kind of confirm and verify this. But, but when we talk about the trivialization of man, this is one of Satan's main strategies or one of his main uh, schemes that he wants to work against us. And what we mean by trivialization, to trivialize something means to make light of it or little of it or less of it. Uh, something that's very important, uh, when it's trivialized, it's considered uh, to, to not be important or set aside as something that has no impact or no effect uh, or no bearing on the outcome when it has everything to do with the outcome. It has everything to do with um, life and life as it, as it was meant to be lived. And so Satan has tried and is actively trying to deceive us into this trivialization. He wants, Satan wants you to believe that you're measly and that you don't have anything to offer and that you're helpless and that you can't do anything to change anything. 
And, and, and at the same time, he wants to deceive you into thinking that he is mighty and that he is powerful uh, and, and, and that you are helpless and, and maybe even hopeless. Okay, So the trivialization of man. God created you to be a really big deal. He created you with a very important purpose in mind. He created you and assigned to you an eternal uh, destiny to fulfill. And, and Satan, you know, wants you to think that you're nothing more than just... And, and it's amazing to me how, whether they mean to do it or not, how many of the quote-unquote so-called Christian worship songs, contemporary Christian music today, sounds more like a page out of the devil's playbook than a page out of God's Word, where, where we hear these sayings about, you know, um, how trivial we are, how, you know... We're just tossed about on every wave, how broken we are, how insignificant we are, and can't believe God would ever look at us a second time. That is complete uh, misunderstanding of Scripture and God's purpose and plans. And it's, it's more about, that's more about doing the devil's work than God's work. Um, and I, don't get me started on that because I get very frustrated sometimes uh, when people sing along at the top of their lungs you know, to songs that... Uh, fit more into what the devil's trying to produce in your life and the mindsets he's trying to cultivate in your life than the renewing of our minds to the truth that God has for us. So Romans chapter 1 and verse number 18, uh, and I'm just going to go straight to the message translation. It says, But God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate as people try to put a shroud over the truth, but the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see, eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of His divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat Him like God, refusing to worship Him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. Verse 22 says, They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. Now, um, Pam and I, we we recently met a family from the Bahamas, and I, I wanted to kind of engaged the man in a conversation, and he seemed to be in a hurry, so I didn't do it. But um, there's a gentleman, he's with Jesus now. His name's Dr. Miles Monroe. He is a prolific uh, preacher. and te- I, I speak of him in the present tense. He's not here, but he's there. Amen. Uh, but I have a few of my favorite quotes from Dr. Monroe, and this is one from him. He says that man's greatest ignorance is of himself. Man's greatest ignorance is of himself. And uh, this was uh, in his book, Understanding Your Potential, when he says this. And uh, in, in the chapter that contains this quote, he goes into this whole elaborate explanation of all these things that we have discovered and understand so much about, while at the same time remaining, for the most part, ignorant about our own existence. Okay? And so this plays into Satan's ability to make us feel trivial and insignificant and worthless and unworthy low self-image, low self-esteem, so forth and so on, low self-worth. Um, but we need to know the answers, right, to these important life questions. I, I know some of this, I think we covered last Thursday at, at the Foundry, and so I, I was kind of thinking about that in preparation for tonight, but I think it, it's not going to hurt any of us to hear, hear some of this twice. And then, you know, the other thing that we see 
where these three questions are concerned is that they provide the proper context for our lives. And one of the things that, that we said recently in, in a class, and I'll repeat it here, is that you, can, you cannot have meaning without context. And when we talk about knowing who we are and knowing where we came from and knowing where we're going, it's those things, not the world's answers to those questions, but your Creator Father's answers to those questions. It's when we understand that from His perspective, when we understand that from His heart, you know, what was He thinking when He was thinking you? Amen. And we have that, you know, more and more clarity and, and, and a greater perspective and understanding from His viewpoint on these things, the more context we have for our lives, and therefore the more our lives make sense and the more meaningful life uh, we are capable of living and experiencing. Okay? Now, I want to speak, before we get into the three questions, I want to speak for just a moment on this subject of our heritage. Our heritage. When the Lord began to deal with uh, Pam and I about starting this church back in the spring of 1998, so that's been a, a minute or two ago, we, we said yes, finally. Um, and I say finally because the Lord had uh, kind of nudged us in this direction on a couple of different occasions. But we finally said yes, and we were ready and, and willing to embark on this journey. The next, or one of the next questions became, okay, so what... What name, what moniker will this family of faith here, uh, as we call ourselves, will we go by? And the Lord began to show me his plans for this ministry and that uh, the, the name of the church would be Heritage, Heritage Christian Center. Now, your heritage is what belongs to you because of who you are. Your heritage is what belongs to you because of who you are. And so we started uh, in June of 98 in our cabinet shop about three blocks uh, back that way, uh, cleaned out the showroom and, and set up some chairs, and away we went, okay? And as we begin to try to teach people what belonged to them because of who they are, we realized that for the most part it was sailing over their heads. In other words, it, it, it wasn't really registering. It really wasn't, the message wasn't resonating with people. And so I took it before the Lord, and he said, you're trying to teach people what belongs to them because of who they are, and they don't know who they are. See, if you don't, if you don't know who you are, then I can try all day to teach you what belongs to you because of who you are. But if you don't know who you are, it's not ever going to connect. It's not ever going to resonate. So do you see how in, in, that, in that respect, one thing has to be built or layered on top of another? So what do we do? We step back and we begin to teach people um, who they are in Christ. Uh, from, uh, you know, from God's perspective, from His Word, not just from religion's perspective or, or people's opinions, but what does the Word say? And once we were able to do that, then we had a foundation in place that we could then begin to teach people what belongs to them because of who they are. And so as we, as we talk about these three questions, I, I, just a little caveat of, of why understanding these answers, uh, understanding the answers to these questions, are, it, it's so critically important, all right? So the, um, let's run through these, and, and we'll kind of bat them around a little bit and talk about how they relate to one another. So the three questions, and there's a significance, there, there's a reason why I'm putting them in the order and 
the layout, if you will, uh, that, I, that I am. So just stay with me on that, and we'll explain it as we go along, okay? So the, this, this question, why am I, all right, why am I, it corresponds with the, with the singular word purpose. What is my purpose? Why am I here? Isn't it amazing how folks who, who don't even really know God have this innate sense that there's some greater purpose for their lives? How many times have we heard people who narrowly escaped death or had some close brush with death in some accident or some natural disaster or what have you, and they'll say things like, the, the good Lord or the man upstairs must have some reason for me to still be here. Uh, and there's, there's something in us, especially in those kinds of moments where it's, it's, it's raw and, and we're almost forced by circumstances to ex examine uh, I heard somebody say it this way, take a long look at our short lives, <laughs> you know, and, and in that moment, you know, we, we have that, that sense of clarity that there's, there's got to be some greater purpose, some greater reason for our existence. And, and, and the truth is, there absolutely is. Uh, and so the sweet spot of life is, is when you understand your purpose and are actively engaged in fulfilling it. I call it doing what you're supposed to do where you're supposed to do it, with the people you're supposed to be doing it with. Uh, there's no greater joy, there's no greater satisfaction, there's no greater fulfillment in life is it, to know your purpose and, and to be uh, actively engaged in participating in fulfilling your purpose. Now, with that said, let me say that, you know, there are different things in my life. It was God's designs and purposes for us are, are ever unfolding. Uh, and I can go ahead and tell you, remember now, he's the God who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you could ask, think, or, or imagine. So you may have glimpse, you may, not, you may be clueless at this point what your true purpose on this earth actually is, okay? Um, I, I don't think that's the case with everybody in this room. But whether you don't know it all right now or you have some idea right now, don't limit God based upon what you know right now because where you are right now, He's preparing you for what He has next for you and then and then and then and then, right? So it's, it's um, faith to faith, glory to glory, grace for grace, okay, uh, is, is how God uh, moves us uh, up and promotes us up into uh, His uh, purpose and design for our lives. Now, so why am I corresponds with uh, your purpose. For those, as this, as this relates to addiction recovery, um, those who have allowed me the privilege of serving them to the point that they find and become actively engaged in their purpose, okay? Um, people don't ever go back <laughs> from that place, okay? That's, that's where becoming a threat to addiction and, and, and some of those titles the Lord gave me and the book that the Lord gave me, right? So th this is the sweet spot of life, right? But let, let's keep going here and you'll kind of see what I'm trying to say, but I need to give you a little more information. So the next question is, who am I? So we've got why am I? It, it corresponds with our purpose. And then why, uh, who am I? Uh, the singular word that goes along with it is identity. Identity. So who am I? Identity. Right? So we got why am I purpose? Who am I? Identity. Sometimes we talk about identity in a church setting or from a sermon or from a in a sermon or from a pulpit. It it for a lot of people it's it seems out of place because a lot of times we associate those types of discussions 
for the field of psychology or for the field of, of you know, therapy and, and, and things of this nature. But let me, let me just go ahead and say it very clearly. For the, for the born-again believer, the understanding of our identity must, absolutely must come from the Word of God. Not from popular opinion, certainly not from reputation, certainly not from uh, things that we've experienced up until this point. So, so many people, their, their self-image, their identity, how they view themselves is based upon the things that have been done to them or things that you know, they have quote-unquote brought on themselves through choices or consequences of choices that they've made. And we see it very clearly in the Scriptures that Father God wants us to have a self-image, understanding of our identity based upon what He has done for us, what He has made us, what He has given to us, okay? And so we'll deal with that more in, in the days ahead. So three questions. First one, why am I? When I say first one, first one we've mentioned, and you'll see why I'm clarifying that. And it corresponds with your purpose. The next one, who am I, corresponds with identity. And then this third question is, what am I? What am I? And what am I corresponds with our origin, okay? So why am I, who am I, what am I? Who am I, um, identity, what am I, origin, but then why am I, purpose? Now, let me just cut to the chase, and then we'll come back and kind of backfill some of this, right? You'll never know why you are till you know who you are. And you never know who you are until you know what you are. That's really, really important right there. In the same way that I was trying to teach people what belonged to them because of who they are in Christ, but they didn't know who they were in Christ, and so there was nothing to rest that teaching on in their hearts. Uh, they were amen in me. They were taking notes, but as far as they were concerned, I was talking about somebody else. I wasn't talking about them. So the more you understand you know, what you are, you have a foundation in your life to understand who, and the more you understand who, then you're able to fully recognize and begin to embrace uh, your purpose. If I was to just, and we've mentioned it some, and we will mention it as, as we go along some more, but let, let me give you an example, okay? John 14, we, we find one of our God-given purposes. What does it say? Jesus speaking, the works that I do, you will do also, and even greater works because I go to my Father. Okay. <laughs> See, religion doesn't know what to do with that verse. My mother had a conversation with, with a retired pastor at the YMCA. They, you know, they'd sit there on the uh, recumbent bike or whatever, you know, and just talking about the Lord and just fellowshiped and did it for, I don't know, mornings, months, you know. And somehow in one of their conversations, uh, my mother brought up, you know, well, you know, the Bible says we'll do the works that Jesus did. And, and boy, she hit a nerve. I mean, that, that retired pastor said the Bible does not say that. And mom kind of like, whoa, hold on. I, well, yeah, I miss John, John chapter 14. doesn't say that. So he's just in complete denial. He didn't know what to do with it, right? So, so what did he do with it? He just pretended like it wasn't in the Bible, right? And, and if you don't know who you are in Christ, then doing what Jesus did is going to seem far out of, it's going to seem so far out of reach for you that you'll just pretend like the Bible doesn't say it or the Bible must mean something else or so forth and so on, okay? So th this is why I like to, um, let me see here, I'm skipping over some stuff. Th this is why I like to ultimately present the three questions like this. I gave them to you in reverse order, 
But you say, well, why don't you just put what am I on, on top? It's because the reverse order also is representing how one rests on the other. Okay? So it starts with what am I, then who am I, then why am I? Okay? So let, let me give you an example. In, in addiction recovery, as I've mentioned, you know, the, the, um, the, the ultimate, well, for that matter, it's just true of discipleship in general. But as I mentioned earlier, those, those that I've been privileged to work with that have found and are fulfilling their purpose, uh, you know, the thought of going back to addiction for them is, is like, what? Why would I ever? You know, in other words, the, the life that they're living now experientially is so much more fulfilling, so much more rewarding, so much more joy and peace and, and, and contentment and satisfaction that the thought of trading that for something so far uh, inferior to that is, is like laughable, okay? I'm, I'm, I don't mean theoretically. I mean, again, experientially, okay? So the question then is, well, why don't we just dive right in there and go straight to the purpose part? Because you, you'll, never, you'll never know why you are till you know who you are, and you'll never know who you are until you let somebody teach you what you are, okay? Now, let's see here. There's a, there's a principle... Um, Praise God. Let's go to this verse here. Isaiah 28 and 10. This is a principle. It says, For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And he's talking about how the truth of God is built into our lives. If you haven't figured it out by now, you can't learn everything you need to know in one sitting. I can't teach you everything that you need to know in one sermon, okay? That's why I, I, I try to simplify it by saying the best advice I could give you is agree with God and agree with Him quickly. Amen. Agree with God and agree with Him quickly. If God says it, just agree with Him. Don't argue with Him. Amen. Just agree. If He says it's true, it's true. If, if it doesn't look, seem, or feel like it's true, it's still true. If, even if it looks like you're losing, you're still winning if you're doing it God's way, right? So precept must be upon precept, and I like for you to see this verse because sometimes I'm repetitive on purpose, but I'm not, I'm reading this just, for those of you who are listening and not watching, I'm reading this exactly as it is in Scripture. One more time, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. So the physical way I try to help people picture this is someone laying bricks. If you've ever watched a mason lay brick, they, they lay bricks one row at a time. And if there's a hundred rows of bricks in a wall, okay, you can't uh, lay row 43 until you lay row one and then row two and then row three. Because until you lay up to row 42, there's nothing for row 43 to set upon. Okay? So truth gives way to truth. The more truth you know, the better position you're in to learn even more truth. The more you understand about God today puts you in a better position to understand even more about Him tomorrow. So it's line upon line. It's line upon line. It's precept upon precept. It's precept upon precept. One thing laid on top of another, on top of another, on top of another, on top of another, on top of another. And so this is why consistency is so important, right? That's one of the sermons that Joel preached recently to our youth. We, you know... Uh, if, if you just watch a brick mason lay brick, you think, man, it's going to take him six years to lay that wall, okay? Then you go and come back, and next thing you know, he's, he's done three scaffolds up, right? It's because he's just laying one brick after another after another, row upon row upon row upon row upon row. 
And if you will, if you will be consistent in, in fellowshipping with God and, and learning about Him and going after an understanding of His truth and wisdom, man, it, it's amazing how a little bit adds up over a, a length of time. Sometimes we're so close to our own progress we don't realize we're making any. And uh, my youngest grandson is growing, 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 growing. Oliver is too. That's my oldest grandson. But my youngest grandson, he's at that stage where he just grow. We didn't see him. They went to Gatlinburg for uh, several days. And I, I saw him yesterday evening, and he was asleep on Pam. And I'm like, darling, you know, a year from now, you're going to be in his lap. I mean, it's... So the point being, you know, he's growing every bit, but if I see him every few every day or two, I don't really realize he's growing. But, you know, you go several days without seeing him, and then you see him, and it's like, man, you know. And so in the same way, you know, we can be so close to the progress we're making that it doesn't feel like we're making progress. But I promise you, you are if you'll, if you'll consistently learn and grow and develop. And faith doesn't come by having heard the word, but by hearing. Faith by hearing, not by having heard, by hearing. Okay? So, this is one of those very important line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept uh, portions of, of God's truth in our lives is what am I, who am I, why am I? Now, let's do this. Go with me to uh, Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 20. I want to show you this kind of in a real-time, real-life situation, okay? Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. Are you getting anything out of this? We're kind of we're easing on through it tonight. Amen. Um, God is good. Amen. Man, he's so good. Wow, he's, he's teaching us. He's teaching us. He loves you enough and he desires good for you enough to send the Holy Spirit and to send the Word of God to teach you and me. Amen. I was, you know, we've talked a lot about, about just the Word of God in general in here in, in, in some of our recent classes, but I was thinking about it, um, I think it was Charles Capps is, is, is the person that I heard say this. He said the Lord spoke to him because he, he had been indoctrinated into some different religious mindsets, and, and um, I don't know if, if you're like me, but you know, some of the things that we were taught when we were younger, we're having to unlearn them because you know, maybe the people who taught us those things meant well, but they taught us incorrectly. And so now we're learning the truth and we're coming to the knowledge of the truth. And, and, and it's, it's a beautiful journey um, as we do this. But the Lord spoke to him and, and he said, you know, in that context, he said, I want you to read the Bible like you've never heard of it or, or heard anything from it or ever read it again. In other words, read it like it's the first time you've ever read it without any kind of preconceived ideas and, and philosophies and traditions and some of these things that Colossians 2 talks about stealing from us and robbing from us, these, these mindsets and attitudes and preconceived ideas that we have about the Scriptures. He said, just, just read it like you've never... And, and I, you know, I thought, man, that is, that is such a cool thought, you know, and, and that's one of the things that I try to do when I read the Scriptures. Because if we're not careful, you know, especially if you read something several times, it just, you just kind of go through the motions. One of the things that will help me in that, maybe to help you, is, is if it feels like you're just going through the motions, read it slow, read it word by word, and read it out loud. All right. But I was thinking about this um, last few days. There, there are so many mysteries revealed in the Scriptures. There's so many secrets to, to life. And, 
you know, people over the years have made millions, if not billions of dollars selling, uh, you know, through infomercials, you know, CD series and book series and seminars on revealing to you the secrets in, of life and the secrets of wealth and the secrets of this and the secrets of that. Man, if we would just realize that the Bible has for you and me wisdom hidden for our glory, in other words, it, for your success, there are things that the Bible reveals to us about money, about relationships, about promotion, about prosperity, things that people desire in life and are paying huge, huge dollars for other people in the world to teach them these things, and yet they're all right there for you and me in the Bible. I don't think, I'm concerned sometimes that we don't go to the Scriptures with that kind of enthusiasm, that kind of, 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 of sense of discovery, you know, and, and, and remember, too, that, like, for instance, God's ways of greatness are to, are to deliberately humble yourself and serve others. If you want to be promoted and be great in the kingdom, Jesus told us how to do it. And it's, it's a great secret. It's, it's a great mystery revealed to us in the Bible, how to be great. The Bible tells you how to be great. How to be great and, and literally how your name to be made known. So we don't think God desires that for us. He does desire that for us. And there's something in all of us that desires that on one level or another. Okay? It's because God put that desire in us. Religion tries to tell you that's a worldly desire. Religion tries to tell you that if you desire to have an abundance of wealth, that that's greed. No, it's not greed. It's not greed. I heard Jesse Duplantis say this, and man, it struck a chord in me. He said, he said, you ever like ride by a house or see a car or something like that, and something inside of you is like, man, I'd like to have something like that, okay? And, and, and yet religion tells us that that's some kind of worldly desire. He said, I believe that's faith in you wanting to be released to, to believe God for these kinds of things in our lives. And so, again, the scriptures contain all of this, and yet we've allowed religion and traditions and, and people who err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God give us wrong interpretations and, and misconstrued uh, understandings of, 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 of the will and wisdom of God for our lives. And so, anyway, I, I know that... Those watching, and you know, people from other churches and other opportunities. But we've been in a series here at Heritage on Sunday mornings talking about giving and receiving. And man, the Holy Spirit is showing us some things from the Scriptures about giving and receiving, and and how Father God has put a system of giving and receiving in place. To get, he he's like, I'm going to give you seed, right, and I'm going to give you bread, and you can eat all your seed, or you can. Uh, uh, and, and call it and turn it all into bread, or you can set aside portions of it and plant it and receive exponential harvest on it. And it's how you cultivate wealth. And God has explained all of that to us in the scriptures. He's laid it all out there for us in the scriptures. And it's there for us to discover. It's there for us to find Him. But remember now, all the ways of God require you to trust Him. And, and that's the dilemma of trust is control. And so people don't want to do it God's way because they want to be in control of it. And so we satisfy for inferior, inferior methods and inferior results because we don't want to do it God's way and, and ultimately trust Him. Amen. And so, praise God. There's answers for us here. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Now, see, th this is why we can't, we can't allow the Scriptures... Um, to be just another voice of many. 
we've got to allow the Word of God to have a place of overriding supremacy in our lives. Jesus talked about His Word having, uh, Him having no place in people's lives because His Word had no place in their lives. And to give something place means to, to put it in a position of prominence and priority that it deserves. And if it's if I, our uncreated, loving Heavenly Father who created us, amen, if it's His Word, then it should be given a place of supremacy in our lives that, um, I say it this way, it's not just giving Him and His Word first place in our lives, it's, it's giving Him and His Word a place in our lives that everything else in our lives bows its knee to. Do you understand the difference in that right there? Every, everything else, every other opinion doesn't just come second, it bows in reverence to God's Word and what His Word says about our lives, about our families, about our children, about our marriage, about our situations, about our finances, about our healing, about our health, about our future, about our destiny, about our ability, about our authority, about our giftings, potential, and I could just go on and on and on. All right. I feel better saying all that. All right, let's go to Matthew, 20, Matthew 16, verse 20, okay? Then He commanded His disciples that they should tell no one that He was Jesus the Christ. For uh, from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Okay, so what's just happened here? What's just happened is that the Holy Spirit has revealed to Peter and Peter has voiced out loud that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, which means Jesus' true identity has now been revealed. And Jesus said to His inner circle that they should not publicize His true identity um, at this time. Okay, But then notice and pay close attention now. Notice, pay close attention to what Jesus began to do immediately from that time. From that time, He began to show to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised the third day. What is he talking about in verse 21? He's talking about his destiny. He's talking about why he's here. But notice, Jesus never revealed his destiny until first his identity was revealed. So here's the principle. Okay, It's three words, but they're important words. Identity unlocks destiny. Identity unlocks destiny. Until you know your identity, you'll never understand your destiny. Now, once Jesus' true identity was revealed to His disciples, He began to teach them about His destiny. Never mention His destiny as long as His identity was a mystery. So identity unlocks destiny. Identity unlocks destiny. Do you see why Satan works 24-7, 365 to confuse people about their identity. He never wants you to know who you are. He wants you to constantly be in a state of confusion about who you are. And I know that these are sensitive subjects, and I'm not trying to irritate anybody or make anyone angry, but notice the extremes to which we're seeing this in our world now, where we, our government is saying that we can't, um, effectively even define what a woman is anymore or what a man is anymore. This whole gender confusion and gender identity and, 
And just because you have male organs or female organs, that doesn't necessarily mean that's who you are. Do you see the extreme lengths to which Satan, and he'll keep pushing the envelope and pushing the envelope and pushing the envelope because he never wants people to understand their identity because identity unlocks destiny. And as long as we're confused about our identity, we're never going to understand our destiny. And by the way, your destiny includes destroying the works of the devil. He doesn't want you to know that. So he knows if he can keep you confused about who you are, he can pretty much keep you in check as far as you doing what God has put you on this earth to do. Now, go with me to Psalm number 8. Psalm number 8. Amen. We're going to do a little teaching here that's necessary. It's important because, again, it's an area where there has been confusion that we need to, uh, to clear up. Okay. So Psalm 8, and we're going to begin at verse number 1. Psalm 8 and 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Let me, let me talk about that for just a brief moment, okay? The mouth of babes and nursing infants, you've ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. I believe every time a, a new human being is born on this planet and that first initial cry from, from that baby, it strikes a chord of terror in the heart of the enemy. That is, that is how far superior we are in the eyes of God to him, to, to the devil himself. And every time a, a new child is born here on the earth, that cry out to God, he says, is like perfected praise, which has ordained strength, God's ordained strength, because of his enemies, okay, and that you may silence the enemy and avenger. Okay, he goes on, verse 3. I wish I could talk more about that. Let's just get back to this, okay? When I consider your heavens, there it is again, plural, okay? Not one, not two, but three. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? So again, th this, is, this is not a a version of a country song, you know, because David, psalmist, he would have sung this. But he's not talking about how small he feels when he stands beside the ocean. He's talking about how seemingly small and insignificant he is compared to creation and the universe. And yet this place that we occupy in the heart of God and the plan of God. And so he says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Not, not why is man, not who is man, but did you, see, did you hear the question? What, emphasis there, okay, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? The son of man that you visit him. In the New Testament, it, it talks about things that angels long to look into. Remember, um, if you don't know this, it's okay, but let's, let's get it cleared up right quick, okay? Um, when uh, a human being dies, they do not go to heaven to become an angel. Angels are different 
beings altogether created by God, but different beings altogether. Demons are fallen angels. And as we learned, uh, I think it was last week or week before that, uh, week before I believe it was, that angels are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for the heirs of salvation. And we'll look at this. I don't know if we'll get to it tonight, but exactly where it is in my notes. But the scriptures even say that we will one day judge angels. So when we, we talk about angels, angels are, and I know this is such maybe a corny and, and not even like 100% accurate way of illustrating this, but have you ever had like a friend whose heart, well, they were in a relationship with somebody and for the life of you, you couldn't figure out what they saw in that person? It's like, man, what? Why does she keep hanging out with him? You know what? And, and you don't understand. You don't get it, in other words. Okay. And, and again, that may be a little bit of, of a lame way of explaining it. But that's sort of what the angels, they're like, man, they, they, they wave the middle finger of their life in his face. They pretend like his words aren't true. They do whatever they want to do. And he goes and dies for them. You know, they're like scratching their head. You know, <laughs> what is this affection to the point of obsession? I don't mean obsession in a negative way, but let me tell you something. If, if, if there was a human being in your life that was like counting your hairs every day, you could probably get them convicted for, for stalking you. Okay, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty obsessive. Amen. But I'm talking about the, the level of love and, and the level of fixation that Father God has uh, for you. It's, it's astounding. It's amazing. It's, 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 it's beautiful. It's eternal. It's powerful. So this is what the psalmist uh, is, is processing here. This is what he is coming to terms with. And I think it's inspired by the Holy Spirit that the question he asked began with, what is man? Now, this next verse is going to ex- require some explanation. We'll come back to it. It says, For you have made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the seas that pass through the paths of the seas. And then he says again, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Now, let me put that, those verses on the screen there. I apologize for those watching online. Um, let's go back to uh, verses 4 and 5. What is man you are mindful of him, the son of man you visit him? And if you notice, I've put in parentheses a, a word here in verse 5. For you have made him a little lower than the angels. And in parentheses next to angels is the word Elohim. Okay, E-L-O-H-I-M. I've heard some people pronounce it Elohim. Uh, Elohim, there's obviously different ways. I'm not sure which is the uh, most exact or accurate okay it may have to do with what part of the world you were born in all right but you've made him a little lower than the angels and the word translated angels from the original language uh the the original hebrew here is the word e-l-o-h-i-m and you've crowned him with glory and honor so he made us a little lower notice that now not a great deal lower but just a little bit lower than elohim now here is the interesting thing about it Every other place in the Old Testament, Elohim is translated, is translated God, with this one exception. You know why that's the case? It's because it means God. It doesn't mean angels. And exactly why the King James and even the New King James Version uh, translated this way, I, I do not know. Uh, thankfully, some translations since then 
have, um, have corrected the mistake. And I've had people over the years say, you, you shouldn't point this kind of thing out because people are going to mistrust the King James text. Okay, well, listen, I, th this isn't about mistrusting anything. The Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Hebrew and Greek, and it was translated from Hebrew and Greek into English. And Hebrew and Greek are both superior superior languages to English. There are verb tenses in the Greek that don't even exist in the English. There are, there are, are punctuation and verb tenses and things of this nature that, that we don't even have an equivalent for. So obviously some things are going to be lost in translation. Not to mention one word, one uh, word can have many different meanings or translations. The word trunk would be an example in English. Trunk are we talking about the nose of an elephant? Are we talking about the base of a tree? Or are we talking about where you put your suitcase in the back of your car, right? So when we go from one language to another to translate, we have the challenges, especially when we're going from a superior language, meaning when I say superior, it's, it's very in-depth, very intense, to a inferior or less uh, 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 mechanically, grammatically speaking language, right? So... That's why I tell you over and over again, there are resources available where you can go online and look at these words in their original language and, and be led by the Holy Spirit to do that. Uh, some of the most important Bible study resources you will ever have are Greek and Hebrew dictionaries, Greek and Hebrew lexicons, a Strong's Concordance. And thankfully, you know, back in the day there were books this thick. Now it's all on a computer. You can do it with keystrokes and and voila, okay? So let me give you uh, verse number five. So it's lower than Elohim, all right? That's what it literally says in the original text. So let me give you uh, some more modern translations on this. Uh, this is Psalm 8 and 5 from the God's Word translation. Does this make you nervous? Some people get really, really nervous when I start doing this. And I, I'm not here to make you nervous, but let's go back to it, okay? There is a very strategic effort on the part of Satan to keep you and me confused about our, what we are, okay? Because if you never know what you are, it's going to be very difficult for you to understand the fullness of who you are. And if you never understand who you are, you'll never know why you are. And if you don't know why you are, how can you ever fulfill the purpose for which God created you? We've got to understand our origin so we can understand identity, so we can understand our purpose and fulfill it. Amen? So this, is where I'm, this is what I'm trying to, 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 to lead you into and take you into. So I'll go ahead and let you know we're going to, from here, after we get some of this basic foundation laid, um, we're, we're going to look at multiple things the Bible says about what you are. About what you are. Okay. For example, you are a spirit. The Bible teaches that very clearly. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. That's what you are. Because people don't understand that. They don't understand who they are in Christ because they think who they are is based upon the, the, the sum total between their successes and failures, their good deeds and their bad deeds, and somewhere in the mix of all that, it shakes out as to our true worth and identity. And, and again, wrong, 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 wrong. All right. So this is one of those key areas where we really need to understand this. And if you'll let me, uh, and the Holy Spirit, if, ultimately Him, if you'll let Him teach you this, uh, it's going to make a huge difference in your life. And I, I, this is controversial. I understand that. And, and I'm not doing it just to be controversial. And I'm certainly not doing it to impress you because what I know and you don't. Okay, This is important because, again, it goes to what you are. It goes to the heart of God and, and what He intended for you to be uh, in the first place. Amen?
Okay, so the God's Word translation says, you have made him, Psalm 8 verse 5, you have made him a little lower than yourself, and you've crowned him with glory and honor. What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? You made him a little lower than yourself, and you crowned him with glory and honor. Okay, the New Living Translation, same passage, Psalm 8 and 5. Yet you have... Uh, made, yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. Okay? The, um, I think it's the Holcomb uh, Standard Bible, HCSB. You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. What is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? What is this that you made him a little less than yourself, a little less than God, crowned him with glory and and honor. From the RSV, Revised Standard Version, Psalm 8 and 5, Yet thou hast made him a little less than God, and dost crown him with glory and honor. The Young's Literal Translation, same verse, Psalm 8 verse 5, And causest him to lack a little of Godhead, and with honor and majesty compassest him. A literal translation, and in my opinion, Young's literal is one of the best literal translations. It, it's, it's, it's difficult reading, but it's, it's going to be literally as, as much as possible a word-for-word translation. By the way, you may know this already. But let me tell you this. So it's, it's interesting if, if, if you do not know this, and it will help you in your Bible study. The translators at times will put words in the English text that were not in the original text. And to signify that they've done that, they will italicize those words. And so a classic example is um, in Romans 10, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've already mentioned that verse a time or two tonight. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If you look at that verse, and I don't have it here in my notes, but if you look at that verse, the word cometh is in italics, meaning it was not in the original text. They put that word in there and signified that they did by italicizing it for readability. But to me, it, it can potentially be misleading because what it literally says is faith by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Cometh gives us this idea that it's out there somewhere and when we hear the word of God, it comes to us from another location. But if you look at what the scripture teaches about faith, the Bible says that God has dealt to every person, given to every person the measure of faith. So every person has faith on board in their lives right now. They were given that faith by God. And faith, which is a spiritual substance, when it comes in contact with the Word of God, which is a spiritual substance, there's a reaction. Okay, you follow me? There's a reaction. So faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. When we hear the anointed Word of God, it stirs faith up, it awakens, it arouses it, it brings it to the surface in our lives. We see a guy named King Agrippa who, who, who trotted the Apostle Paul out like some dog and pony show because he was going to interrogate him, right? And, um, and so Paul was a prisoner, and he brings Paul out. And Paul starts sharing his testimony with him and starts sharing the Word of God with him. Excuse me. And King Agrippa finally says, Get, take this guy away. And, and as he's on his way out the door, he says, Paul, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. Why all of a sudden, like King Agrippa was sitting in judgment, think, thought Paul was, uh, uh, you know, maybe even deserving of execution for what he was preaching. Now, just by listening to him, He's, he's on the verge of like getting saved himself because the words that Paul was speaking was, was activating and arousing and awakening faith in Agrippa's heart to believe that message. 
<coughs> excuse me. This is why you can go to a, a, another country or go to this country and, and, and start telling people about Jesus and, and it'll awaken within them the faith to receive Jesus. Amen. Praise God. So I get stirred up about that. So the, the, the young's literal and causes him to lack little of Godhead. So notice it's like, whew, that's, that's tough reading. But what Young's Little tried to do is just translate it exactly as it was written. And with honor and majesty compassest him. I'm not done. The New Revised Standard Version. Yet you have made them, Romans, I'm sorry, Psalm 8 and 5. Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. And then the message translation, Psalm 8, this is 4 and 5. Then I look at my micro self and wonder. Why do you bother with us? Why take a second look our way? Yet we've so narrowly missed being gods, bright with Eden's dawn light. Wow. Now, if what I'm telling you is true, or excuse me, thank you Holy Spirit for correcting me. If what the Word of God is telling you is true, and obviously it is, I believe it is, this is significant information. Amen? That he did not make us a little lower than the angels, but he made us a little lower than himself. Now, why is this significant? Well, let's look at it, and I kind of diagram it this way. Before the creation of man, what we understand from the Bible that we have, the information that we have in the Bible that we've been provided, is that the order went number one God and number two angels, right? Now, after the creation of man, we see the order is changed from number one God, number two mankind, number three angels. Am I losing you? This is important. Talk about what you are, what God created you to be, what He had in mind when He had you in mind. He did not have a being in mind that would be subservient to angels. He had a being in mind that angels would be subservient to. Okay? And remember, demons are fallen angels. So do you see why when a human being is born and that first cry out of the mouth of a baby or a nursing infant, it's, it, it causes the devil to literally be silenced. It's like, oh, another one is here with potential to rule me. Okay? Still with me? All right. So let, let's hear some of these verses that we need to use to verify. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know that we shall judge angels how much more things that pertain to this life? I don't know if you knew that verse was in the Bible, the Bible says one day that you and I will judge angels. Angels will not sit in judgment over you and me. We will sit in judgment over them. Now, I know sometimes people have a little issue with that right there. It's like judging angels, man. See, this is our problem though. Are you with me? When we think in terms of judging, we think in terms of passing judgment and, and being critical or finding something wrong are pointing out something that needed to be done that wasn't, and some type of transgression. And so we're going to judge angels. Okay, I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I think judging angels is going to be when we finally have a full view 
of what our angels have done for us all of these years behind the scenes in our lives. All those times that angels saved our lives and we didn't realize that they did. We just thought we were a good driver or we thought that we were lucky or we thought that this or that. And we have no idea that it was angels involved in what we experienced. Now, I have not shared this very much publicly, but I am telling you right, I'm telling you straight up right now, we get to heaven one day, we'll get to pull the video on this and you'll see what I saw from my perspective, except for you will see the angel that I didn't see, but I know it was there, okay? And I could tell you all kinds of stories about this one, all right? But here, here, here it is. We had met um, Jake and Bethany uh, and uh, Oliver. I don't, think, uh, I don't think Sam Sam was born yet. We had met them at um, Saltgrass uh, Steakhouse on Highway 150. And um, we were in uh, separate cars. They were in their car. Pam was in her car. I was in, uh, in my uh, truck. And when it's time to go, um, we hugged by, everybody left. So Pam went out first. She turned left on Highway 150, go down, get on the interstate and go home. And I had to wait for traffic. And when I uh, went to uh, turn left, um, out of nowhere, and when I say out of nowhere, it, this, this car, and I was, you know, it's, two, it's a five lane, you know, center turn lane. I was going across, you know, so I was going across cross two lanes in a turn lane to, uh, to get. When I say out of nowhere comes this car, I'm like, and I, I literally, I, I, I braced for impact. We both slid into, I was sliding this way, he was sliding that way, um, all the way in and through the turn lane. And I, I don't mean to sound like, you know, like some doubt and unbelief, but I'm like, man, we, we have just had a wreck. I mean, I, except for our cars never touched. There was, it was like there was an impact, but there was, so I like, now you got to keep in mind now cars, and we're like, you know, I'm part of me's in the lane behind me, part of me's in the lane in front of me. It, you know, and he's like panicked, okay? And guess what he did in that moment of panic? He turned his headlights on. He was flying down through there, no street lights, it was rainy, uh, dark, and I, he had a dark car. And when I called Pam, I was like, you know, still trying to process what just happened and why we're not sitting back there waiting for a police officer to come write an accident report. And I realized what had just happened, that, the, that, that an angel had got between me and that car, and we both pushed, but I pushed him, but I didn't dent his car, and it didn't even scratch my truck, okay? Um, and I called her, and she's like, man, I passed that guy, I blew my horn, I flashed my lights at him, you know, because, you know, you could hardly see him, and I'm like, well, I didn't see him at all, okay? So, amen. You say, oh, Pastor Mark, that was just, no, I wasn't a good driver, and that wasn't lucky. It was the, it was the angels helping me. Are you following me? Yeah. Amen. There's, a, there's another one. There's a whole sermon on this. Um, my nephew Joel and his family, they were in the tornado that came through in, in 2011 and it uh, looked like their house was put in a food processor and thrown, uh, I don't know, uh, 400 feet down in a ravine. And, um, and the Lord gave me a vision of, of that. And what, what the Lord explained to me is, is that the Satan was trying to overwhelm the angelic resources in that area. And he, he showed me how angels 
were in, it's called Angels in the Fray is the name of the sermon. He showed me how in the midst of that F4, F5 tornado and all the destruction that it was producing, angels that were, that were staying just ahead of it, protecting people while their houses were destroyed and then immediately going and protecting the next one. And, 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 um, and that one of the strat I've never heard that expression from anybody ever on planet Earth. So I know it was the Holy Spirit was that, that the devil's strategy was to try to overwhelm the angelic resources. And remember in Daniel where we see uh, demonic spirits were moving from one territory to try to oversee one. But, and so that was, Satan was trying to get angels away from areas and things that they were protecting uh, by this tragic event of the tornado so that he could then try to affect things in other places and other people's lives where those angels would have vacated their posts, okay? So I had no intentions of sharing any of this tonight, but I feel like <laughs> I need to share it, okay? So, um, so when we talk about judging angels, okay? Um, Joel, one day you'll get to put a medal around the neck of the angel that saved your life that night. I'm just, I'm telling you, okay? I'm out, we don't talk about it, but their neighbor was laying in the front yard dead, okay? So, um, amen. He saved them alive. He saved them alive. And I know some, some people don't realize, and I, I've only said this a few times in my life, but I'm convinced now that it was, it, was, um, it was my angel that night that I was talking to in that vision. I thought it was the Lord for years, but I, I, the more I've learned and the more I understand, I believe it was my angel because he said these words to me. He said, I'm, he said, I'm sorry about your sister's house. Like, what are, you, what are you apologizing to me for, you know? But he was explaining to me why. He's, he said, I had to choose between saving them and saving their house and saving other people. So that was the whole. And, and in this vision, it was the, you lived it, okay? But in this, in this vision the Lord gave me, it was just chaos and debris and darkness. Um, and again, people and, and automobiles and um they had a six or eight person hot tub on their back deck full of water that we never found. We had no idea where it is. They had a boat big enough that, how many people did that boat sleep? It was nice, it was a big boat. Um, it was about 400 yards on the other side of a ravine. <laughs> it blew it over there and we at least knew where that thing landed. Um, and so it was in all that chaos and destruction that these angels were knifing through it like just flashes of light, home house, trying to stay ahead of and protect. Now, I know that for some of this may sound very bizarre and almost far-fetched and, and un unbelievable, undeniable, or what are, are, are implausible is the word I like to look for. But in other words, there, there's, a, there's a reason. You, you, you follow what I'm saying? In other words, some force, and I'm being silly now, some force protected, some force saved. It was, it was angels. Are you hearing me? It was angels. And so when it says that one day we will judge them, it doesn't, I don't think that means, you know, we'll be like hammer, dropping the hammer on them. I think all of a sudden we're going to realize how much they've done for us uh, without our even acknowledging that, um, that, they, that they're there and that they're serving us and ministering for us on our behalf. Amen? Amen.
Every person in this room has, has an angel. You do know that, right? You've got one. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I've had people tell me um, over the years, it, it, at different times throughout the years, that they've actually seen mine standing behind me when I preach. So, um, amen. Amen. I thought at the cabinet shop that I saw mine, um, and it was a flash over to, the stage was different up there. The cabinet shop sanctuary was smaller than this room, but um, it had two steps up to a platform. And uh, I was preaching, there was a, I wish, I don't know where the VHS tape is, but I mean, I was preaching away, and I went, you know, it was like, and then it was gone. I was like, and I, was like, I felt like I almost got embarrassed. I'm like, I didn't even tell anybody what it was. I just went back to preaching. You know, I was like, man, what's that over there? So praise God. Angels among us, right? Y'all didn't sound very enthusiastic about that, but that's okay. Let's keep going here, all right? Hebrews 1 and 14. Hebrews 1 and 14. It says, are they not... Are they, and they speaking of angels, not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And that's you and me, right? We've inherited it. So we know that, I've already mentioned uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, things which angels desire to look into. But here is, and I don't know if we've got time to really dig into this, but let me just introduce it and then we'll, because we're not meeting next week on the 30th, we'll... Uh, begin here. But your creation and the place you were created by God to occupy, I believe, is what led to Lucifer's fall. And we find this in Isaiah 14. And, um, well, amen. Let me get back over here. Isaiah uh, 14 and verse 12. It says, How you were fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart. So let, let's, let me, I know I've still got that on the screen, but let me come back, take it off the broadcast screen for a minute. Okay. This is one of those things, and it's a classic example of what we were talking about earlier when the Lord spoke to Charles Capps and he said, I want you to read the Bible for the first, like it's the first time you've ever read it without any preconceived ideas or notions. All right. And this is one of those areas where that attitude really enable the Holy Spirit to open my eyes to something that has really revolutionized my life and my understanding of, of ministry and, and, and the, the tactics of the enemy and our place in God's creation and, and divine plan is that I had heard my whole life that what, that what Satan or Lucifer before he fell, that his undoing was that he tried to overthrow God, that, that he tried to be God. And, and that didn't work so well for him. But anybody else, you've, you've heard that whole expression, right? Well, let, let's look at what he really said, okay? Um, he says in verse 13, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And then he goes on to say, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? So he says literally that in, 
in the day when Satan is revealed for who and what he really is, that the men of this world will walk past him and, and wag their heads in shock and amazement and, and basically say, you mean he's the one that caused all the trouble? See, when he's finally revealed, because remember, he's been stripped of all of his power. He's been stripped of all of his authority. The only power and authority he has is the power and authority he can deceive you into surrendering to him. Are you hearing me? He can't mess up your life without you cooperating with it. He works with smoke and mirrors. He's tried your whole life to trivialize you and exalt himself in your mind and thinking. to Make you believe that you're measly, he's mighty, so forth and so on. So, but if we go back, and this is the part, and we'll work through it again uh, next class. But what did he say? He didn't say, I'll exalt my throne above God. He said, I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God. Stars in Scripture are symbolic of offspring. So when he said, I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God, he was saying, in essence, I will exalt my throne, my place, my position, above the position of God's children, God's offspring. That's you and me. He also goes on to say, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the sides, on the farther sides of the north. If you, if you know what the Bible teaches about this particular location in heaven, that's known as Zion, and it's a place that's reserved for you and me. I believe it's one of the most beautiful places in all of heaven, and it's the place that you and I are going to congregate one day. Okay? But notice what did, Satan say, what did Lucifer say in his heart? Hey, hold on a second. Wait, wait now. I'm going to exalt my throne above the offspring of God. I'm also going to sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Who's like the Most High? Who was created in the image and likeness of God? Again, this is you and me. This, he's talking about, Lucifer is talking about you and me here. So what's the point? The point is, um, I keep getting this backwards here on the broadcast. I appreciate y'all being patient with me online. Okay, I'm trying to wind this down, 641. What's the point? The point is very simple. At some point in time past, God unveiled his plan to the holy angels that he was going to create a new being, a new race, a new species, a being unlike any other being that God had ever created up until that point that we're aware of. And it was going to be a being made in God's own image and likeness who was going to be made just a little bit lower than God himself, which was in essence going to displace the angels from only serving God to now serving God and man, heirs of salvation, that's you and me, Angels would be subservient to us. Angels would be made, I'm sorry, angels would be subservient to you and me. We would be made in the image and likeness of God. We would be considered the offspring of God, the sons and daughters of God, uh, created in such a way by God as to be one with Him. And Lucifer had to come apart. He said, absolutely not. If they're going to be like you, I'm going to be like you too. If, if, if they're going to sit on the, the farther side of the north, then I'm, I'm going to dwell there too. And uh, I'm not going to be subservient to them. I believe Lucifer had no problem whatsoever serving God. I believe his undoing was when God told him he was going to have to serve you and me. And this was what caused him to be ejected from heaven. And you say, Pastor, I, this is interesting, but I'm, I'm still not convinced. Well, how about this? When Satan landed here on this earth, he landed here more determined than ever to exalt his throne over you and me. He landed here more determined than ever to make you his slave, to make you his servant. Am I right about it? Okay. All right. So, what is man? That you are mindful of him, 
that you visit him, that you made him just a little bit lower than yourself. Amen. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for these beautiful men and women. Father, beautiful inside and out. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for helping us understand the scope and the magnitude, Father, of our purpose by helping us understand our identity and by helping us understand our origin. Father, we existed in your heart before we were ever formed in our mother's wombs. You knew us and gave us purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before time began. Father, help us with these important questions, answering them, Lord, not according to religion or the philosophies and traditions of this world and the traditions of men, but, Lord, according to your scriptures, according to your word, according to Christ Jesus himself. Father, I pray that everything that these men and women put their hands to will prosper for your glory. I ask, Father, that you reveal yourself to us in personal and meaningful ways. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. One more time, remember, no class next week on the 23rd. So I'll see you again for discipleship class on the 30th. Be blessed.